Uh, Heath, thank you so much, guys. Thank you. I've missed this two years in a row from illnesses, and I think I'm not going to get sick till later this afternoon. So I, I appreciate it. Thanks for bringing me here. Thanks to Heath and all you guys for coming from everywhere. I can't believe how many people are here. And, you know, 100% less syphilis than at CPAC right now. Um, all right, it's, uh, it's primary day. We, look, it's going to all come down to turnout. Uh, polls are showing Nikki Haley within 30 points of Donald Trump. Right there with her. So I don't want to spend too much time on this. Uh, but I'll ask, you, I'll ask you three questions that I want you each to respond to. In New Hampshire, Nikki Haley won Democratic voters who crossed over 86 to 5. Will she do better than that or worse than that today with Democrats in South Carolina? Worse. A.B.? I'm, I'm going to be a ray of hope today. I'm going to say better. Yeah. Ooh. Like, like level or better. Okay. Uh, she won independent voters 58 to 39. Will she do better with independence in South Carolina today? Level or better? Sarah? No, worse. And here's the, wait, hold on. Are, are, are we talking percentages or are we talking like absolute numbers? Because here's the thing. In New Hampshire, there are way more independents who culturally are used to voting in... I just mean percentages. I'm trying to norm it out because the, the point I'm trying to get at... Well, let's say she does a higher percentage but a much lower level of absolute numbers. That doesn't translate into a better showing. Okay, but what I'm trying to say is the more these people see of her, the less they like her, even the independents and Dems. That's what I'm trying to get I at. Don't that's what I, so. I don't Make think me spell it true. out. The subtext. The subtext. Okay. And with Republicans, she, she got 39% of self-identified Republicans in New Hampshire. Give me her number with self-identified Republicans today. 30%. 28%. A.B.? I'm gonna, yeah, I'm in, the, in that window. Definitely worse. I'll take the under. Okay, last question. I'll take the under. <laughs> if this is prices right, she I get, get $1. Uh, does any of it matter? No. Right. Does Nikki Haley strike you as the person who's going to stand up to Marco Rubio and Mitch McConnell and Ron DeSantis and the entire rest of the party and say, no, you guys are the crazy ones. I'm not going to do this. I mean, I don't know. Let me go to bat for Nikki for a second. Okay. So uh, I think she's going to do worse, not because I think Nikki Haley is worse. I actually think she's a much better candidate today in South Carolina than she was when she was kind of doing her middling thing in New Hampshire. Right. Uh, the problem is that South Carolina, which is her home state, which is going to hurt more, it's going to hurt more for her to underperform in South Carolina because she was the governor there. But it's also just not a state that's a good fit for her. Right. New Hampshire was a much better fit for somebody like Nikki Haley. Even the Republicans in New Hampshire are a much better fit for somebody like Nikki Haley. But in South Carolina, I'm amazed. We just did a focus group in South Carolina. In fact, new focus group podcast dropped today. It's with Tim Alberta, who wrote that really amazing profile of Nikki Haley uh, a couple of years ago. And what's so interesting about the conversation I have with Alberta about Nikki is that that piece was called Nikki Haley, A Time for Choosing. And it was about this question. Was she going to choose to burn the boats? Was she going to choose to do, to basically, because Alberta's thesis was Nikki Haley was a decent person who wanted to do the right thing, wanted the future of the Republican Party to be sort of a, a decent uh, American leadership in the world, free markets kind of party. Uh, was she going to choose that or was she going to end up 
back in Trump's corner, right? And the thing that you hear from all the voters in the South Carolina group, and, and there was, nobody was gonna vote for her. And there was actually, there was one woman who was gonna vote for her because she wanted her to have a good enough showing so that Trump might pick her to be vice president. <laughs> but she still wanted to vote for Trump. This woman liked Trump, she was a Trump person. But the thing that they all say is they say they can't trust her. They can't trust Nikki Haley. And the reason they think they can't trust her is because Nikki Haley has been on multiple sides of the Trump question now for a long time, right? They heard her say, I won't run for president if Donald Trump doesn't want me to. Like, remember when she was asked if she was gonna run and she said, well, I would talk to Trump first and I would sort of get his permission. That doesn't exactly scream strength and authenticity and the things that she needed to win, um, but she's, she's so she has chosen now, I think, to be burn the boats Nikki. The problem is she's been both of those things for so long that people can't trust her. But where she is right now, I think she's doing a good job. I think, she is I think she's running as the person she genuinely wants to be, the person that I had always hoped she wanted to be. And she's showing something by saying she's gonna stand through Super Tuesday no matter what happens. Like, I just appreciate something about that. Like, I got all kinds of problems with how she's comported herself. But I think that there's something about saying, no, I'm going to stay and I'm going to make him fight for it. Okay, I'm sorry I was mean. <laughs> I take it back. Uh, all right, that's enough time in South Carolina. IVF, which is suddenly the most important issue in America. Um, so the Alabama Supreme Court rules, they don't, they don't exactly rule that IVF is illegal, it's on a ban on it, but they, they issue a ruling that is going to probably drive IVF out of the state of Alabama. And we have what should be a weird moment of a trap, because IVF is wildly popular. 86% of Americans are in favor of IVF. Something like 78% of pro-life advocates are in favor of IVF. 83% of evangelical Christians in favor of IVF. And so you, uh, you would think this is gonna be a problem. And Nikki, when asked about this, she got herself on the wrong side initially. And she's been scurrying to back off of that since then and has tried to then frame it as a state's rights issue. That, uh, you know, like, I, I, she's like, I personally think IVF is great, but also we have to respect states and every state is going to come to different decisions about it. And, uh, and then Trump does what Trump does. This is why I do think people misunderestimate Trump in certain ways. He is, he's a demagogue, sure, but demagogues are a dime a dozen. He's a very talented demagogue. He is very good at finding the center of things. This is why so many people think he's pro-choice. Uh, you know, because he is. <laughs> also because he is. Um, but he, you know, he immediately just popped out and, and was like, yeah, IVF is great. What just happened in, in Alabama is a travesty. It's a travisham mockery. And uh, they got a, you know, I call on the Alabama legislature to pass a law protecting IVF. Is that going to work? So I think um, that this is the beginning of the issue if the Democrats are smart, not the end of the issue. You saw Steve Daines, who runs the National Republican Senatorial Committee, alert the next morning all of the candidates up fighting for swing states for them. And they all put out statements, including Carrie Lake, about how they just want so many babies and they're so pro-family and they're pro-IVF. And so they're now the champions. Sorry, I should ask you, though, does it matter that Steve Daines 
co-sponsored a bill granting full constitutional protections to frozen embryos in 2021? Right. So, and Mike Johnson has been firm about this, that life begins at conception. I was just getting to the fact that incoherence is a feature, not a bug, in the age of Trump. And as long as Donald Trump gets to change positions every day, and the Republicans have to follow him, they get to also. And so, when he, his new thing is, people think that I have dementia because I confuse Nikki Haley and Nancy Pelosi. That's just what I do. I change names around and I have fun and I'm being sarcastic and no one has a sense of humor. And so this, this IVF pivot will help them in the near term. But if the Democrats are smart, they will start running ads saying, are your eggs safe in Mississippi? Are your eggs safe in Idaho, and they need, they, they need to do this because it is the logical next question about what authoritarians wanna take from you. And there's a huge menu, they need to be very explicit about it. And Donald Trump has been working very hard, he probably, he might not have known this was coming, but he's been working very hard to throw the evangelical leadership under the bus on abortion and to say, we're gonna lose elections on this issue. So if they've already let him do this, yeah, the issue is probably technically over within the movement and within evangelical Christians. They're going to support him nonetheless. But for the Democrats, I think the story is not over and it's, it's wide open. I mean, these stories, the last couple days of these women finding out that this had happened to them in this, I have two children from IVF of my three, finding out in the middle of this course uh, that you have spent so much time and money preparing for and so much emotional duress invested in, the injections you have taken, the things you've had to cancel, the secret you are keeping from your family and your coworkers and your friends, hanging your hopes on the retrieval, the harvest, the transfer, all these things, it is so completely overwhelming and the idea that they are sitting in Alabama not knowing how to control their future for their family with these embryos in in a freezer somewhere is it was it really knocked me over watching watching these people and this is a devastating story for them that I insist did not end with Trump's truth social post yesterday all right I'm gonna I'm gonna be super dark but I'm gonna let you go first you're kidding <laughs> <laughs> So here's the, so I'm gonna defend Nikki again uh, here because I actually don't think she said what people made her out to say. I think what she said was she also had her kids via IVF and that she really wanted those kids and they felt like a life. And I think this is actually not an uncomplicated question a little bit in the sense that, so I also have two kids uh, that were done via IVF, although lesbians, uh, the thing that they tell you when you go to a fertility clinic is it's like, well, you don't actually suffer from infertility, you just suffer from lack of exposure to sperm. Uh, <laughs> I'm not sure I'd call that suffering. <laughs> so you're just, we're gonna get you some of that, and then, uh, and then, uh, uh, but, but actually what happened, I'll just, this is a little bit of a personal story, but I got um, explicit approval from my wife to tell it, was, we started out under that sort of feeling like, oh, okay, this is gonna be great. And then we tried for um, what ended up being almost close to two years and it didn't happen and we had to move to IVF. Uh, and we also, we had miscarriages in there and it was like, it's one of the hardest times when you want children badly and it's not happening. And eventually, obviously uh, it worked and now 
I have two kids, boys who I love more than life itself. And I think that like you're messing with something in people's lives when you do this that goes, people think like, this is not your job, Tommy Tuberville. Tommy Tuberville does not get to have a say in like this thing that's happening. And, and so I agree with AB. The problem is with Democrats, they are like allergic to offense. And offense is what you do when you take an issue and say, no, we're the pro-life party. These guys aren't pro-life. Uh, they weren't pro-life during COVID. They weren't, you make this point. Uh, they're not pro-life on taking care of your kids once they're born. Like, you know, and there is an offense message here and it's up to them to jump on it. All right, I think this is 100% loser for Democrats. Okay. <laughs> Whoa. I want to hear it. So Donald Trump has basically come out and openly defied the, the furthest elements of Pro-Life Incorporated on this, right? And he said IVF is great. He's called on the Alabama state legislature to rectify this horrible law and a horrible wrong and pass a law protecting IVF. And nobody from like far out rad trad pro-life world is gonna crack back on him. They're all gonna say it's fine. And this is then going to create a halo effect for the rest of the Republicans running. Because right now you have a split. Some people in the Senate, like Danes, are now reversing themselves and pretending that they, they don't like this. But you've got 125 Republicans in the House who are still on board with a cosigns to a bill that would essentially create personhood for, for embryos. And those people, I think, will get to benefit from Trump's halo, right? So that, well, sure, my rep says this crazy thing, but I don't have to worry about it because Trump, you know, Trump is really super pro IVF. In fact, do you want me to read it? Do you want me to do the, read the thing I did? Yes. Read the thing. The yeah, yeah, it's funny. So it's I, I took a turn as, as Trump's speechwriter on Threads this morning. <laughs> I'm sitting on the train coming down, and somebody responded to one of them and said, "I bet you a thousand dollars Trump couldn't even tell you what IVF is," and I. My understanding is that they take the baby, the very small baby, some say even smaller than the baby Jesus, and they inject it right into the mother, and it's beautiful. It's a beautiful thing. We love babies. Maybe not the Mexican ones, you can't say that. Fake news gets very upset when you say that, but the Mexican IVFs should stay in Mexican. So this is... But you'll just do this. And also, every minute that you're, you're litigating this stuff, you're not talking about Dobbs, right? This is, I, I just think it's lose, lose, lose. Hold on. No, I, so, and For to be Democrats. fair, to be fair, this is predicated on the idea that Democrats are able to prosecute this case, which is not 100% that that can happen. But if they did, because here's the thing you're absolutely right about, which is Donald Trump is perceived as a cultural moderate by voters, and it is very much misunderstood. And here's the thing about why voters think that he is a moderate on abortion. They believe he doesn't engage in any kind of sexual morality. They're like, look, in focus groups, I don't say this, I'm just gonna put it on the voters. They say this, they're like, he probably paid for an abortion. And so they, they think that, and so they don't think he's pro-life. They don't think he is like the rest of the party. There is a reason that Donald Trump is actually more popular than the Republican Party, and it is because people perceive him to be not kind of a Mike Johnson type or a Mike Pence type on both gay issues and on uh, issues of reproductive rights. And so if you talk to a bunch of sort of swing voting women and say, how, you know, do you think that Trump is extreme on abortion or moderate on abortion? Or, you know, they'll just, oh, moderate. And so 
And the more extreme the Republican Party gets on things like IVF, Trump is able to triangulate against that and look more moderate himself, okay? True. But the Democrats have to remind people that Trump put the three Supreme Court justices on the court that overturned Roe. And he has appointed the judges and that the Republican Party, and I do think this is gonna be important. It is going to be important. It's a walking and chewing gum thing. You have to run against Trump but you gotta run against the whole Republican Party. Uh, you've gotta run against what it has turned into under Trump and Mike Johnson, because when you do that, if you can effectively prosecute that case, I do think you win that. I mean, maybe. <laughs> I, I, I just, I, we live in a world where nobody remembers the pandemic, right? Mill, a million Americans died. This guy was standing out there saying, we should shine the lights inside them, maybe put in the bleach, the ivermectin, it works. They and remember it. They no, just don't they remember don't. to blame Trump for it. They don't remember any of it. This is the other gentleman who writes about focus groups for us. This is what JVL does to bait me into writing for the website. <laughs> he publishes other people about focus groups just to troll me. That's 100% true. <laughs> Uh, and, and he did a focus group with um, pro-Trump, pro-choice Republican women from swing states. And they all thought, oh yeah, Trump is great. He's right with me. I, you know, I, I feel really good about Trump's and his position on abortion. And when, when asked then about the Dobbs thing, like, you know, don't, don't you, don't you have maybe think he had something to do? Because they all hated Dobbs. They think Dobbs is really bad. Three of the 15 said that maybe Trump bore some partial responsibility for it. <laughs> and I just, I, that, you know what? That sounds about right to me. I've seen the people. I live with the people. Okay. That's what they think. They can't hold these things in their heads. That's true. Although, so part of the biggest problem for Democrats, and here's where I think it's going to help, and here's where I think they need to be aggressive on it, is that you may have noticed that Joe Biden is not doing great with people age 29 and younger. Right, young, young folks, <laughs> remember the focus group we did with the young people, oh, I did it with Tim, and one of the girls was like, you know, he's like the same age as my grandma, and she says a lot of problematic stuff. <laughs> so, <laughs> I, think, man, I think maybe he's like that. Uh, and you know, so, but the thing that will get those people out, it is not going to be Joe Biden, but it is going to be those issues, and it is going to be the contrast between Joe Biden saying, I'll protect reproductive freedom uh, and being able to effectively prosecute a case against Republicans who want to get rid of it and Donald Trump who appointed the justices who overturned Roe. And I think if he can do that, it does a lot for the enthusiasm that right now isn't there for Joe Biden and is showing up in his sort of lackluster poll numbers. I think that you you actually argued this months ago that he's he's kind of effectively won on 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 the you know distancing himself from Dobbs and and the abortion issue. I think it is still so powerful for the Democrats to tie when they try to explain to people. And you're right; they they have to say these are the justices that he appointed with quotes from him saying we're going to overturn Roe v. Wade and and pictures and everything, but. IVF is so much more tangible to people than when you explain to them what has happened since Dobbs in terms of women with ectopic, ectopic pregnancies and, and, and being denied procedures because doctors are leaving the OR to call their lawyers. So that's a little bit too complicated unless it's been in their community or their family or their circle of friends. IVF is so much more accessible an issue to, to tie 
to Dobbs to talk about Dobbs and to talk about the Supreme Court that he set up to repeal uh, Roe v. Wade. And I think it's it just I think it's a slam dunk. You just basically say it doesn't matter what Donald Trump is telling you. These are the people in red state legislatures. They're coming eventually for birth control. But right now they want your frozen eggs if you're a single woman and your frozen embryos if you're a married couple trying to conceive. They can pretend in Alabama they're going to fix it. Where is it going to be next? These are people are dystopian and radical. And it's it's just the easiest message. I mean, I, it's I just like don't you think can't it's, trust the guy. I don't think it's over for. I don't think it's over as an issue for them. I really don't. But here, and here's just the last. Like one thing to understand about this race, it hasn't started yet. Like it's not even. It feels to us like Ugh. that's because it's already over. Stop it! So you stop it. <laughs> there are reasons that people run campaigns. There are things that they teach. Voters who are not paying attention yet, and as somebody who talks to a lot of voters, they are not paying attention yet. Uh, and look, the dynamic of this upcoming race, if you listen to me talk, I talk about this a lot, is it's not like persuadables in a different thing where you got two people that everybody doesn't know that well. Because then you're trying to teach them new stuff. Uh, and that's not really what this race is going to be about, unfortunately. And this is why, if you guys were there last night, I was talking about not getting exhausted and how we really have to keep our blood up and keep our energy up. Because it's easy to get like, oh my God, I can't believe we're going to do this again with these two guys. And the voters that are persuadable hate both of them. Okay? The persuadable voters this time are different than other times. They are double doubters, double haters, a pox on both their housers. I don't like either of you guys, which means it's going to be a race about who they dislike more. And I don't like when things are just about hate. Uh, it's not my favorite, but... Give in to the hate, yeah. young Jedi. But negative <laughs> polarity is... Yeah, okay. Negative polarity is going to rule the day. And that's why, like, the campaign's really going to matter, right? Joe Biden's old. But you know what? That's not you true. can either be Yoda. Is he old? Yeah. But you know what? He can be Yoda old, wise, there to protect us, teach a new generation, or he can be. Go ahead, name the character. I don't name know. the character. I don't you know have no the idea. One. I don't know you, the bad you guy. You saw old me say Wars. this somewhere, <laughs> and now you're trying to do your sci-fi analogy. But you're not a nerd. I know. You can't fake it. What's the name of the bad guy? The Emperor. Emperor Palpatine. Okay. Yeah. That guy. This is why I didn't have a girlfriend until I was 30. Okay. Um, this is actually a very, very nice segue. Because I, I was hoping to rope you all, very nice people, into being co-defendants with me with the No Labels lawsuit. It's not a lawsuit, okay? Listen, No Labels... You're all co-conspirators just by listening to us talk about this. This is actually... Do you guys know this? That JVL one day on a podcast we were doing, started an insane rant uh, against No Labels, talking about how anybody involved with No Labels should never be able to get a table at Spago. They should be, they should be just ruined their credibility. And it was, and I, you know, was doing like simmer down, simmer down. But he did it right before I was supposed to debate Nancy Jacobson, the head of No Labels. We were supposed to have a public debate. And she used JVL's rant to cancel the debate. She sent me a note that said, I watched your despicable podcast <laughs> with your despicable co-hosts uh, who said- Back check true. <laughs> yeah. And 
They sent a letter to the Department of Justice claiming that there was a RICO conspiracy against no labels that included our podcast uh, <laughs> and JPL and a bunch of other people who are trying to educate the public about why no, what no labels would have a spoiler candidacy effect. <laughs> so JPL keeps calling me being like, am I going to jail? Am I going to jail because DOJ? I was like, buddy, anybody can send a letter to DOJ. Like, this is not a real thing. It's cool, man. I'm being stereotyped based on my New Jersey heritage. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, so, A.B., I want to talk to you about this, because yesterday we had a piece by Greg Sargent in the New Republic basically arguing that the bottom was falling out of no labels because Manchin had pulled the plug on his Maybe I'll Run, and St. Larry is going to run for Senate, which is great. Woo! Thank you, Larry Hogan, for not running as a third-party presidential spoiler. Yay! So when we were talking about this, I was like, what do you think? And you, you took a contrary opinion to Greg Sargent. Can you explain to the people? So, I'm sorry. The New, New Republic piece claims that the effort is in meltdown. It's very well funded and it's very well organized. They're already on 16 ballots, which is more than RFK Jr. can say for himself. So it is pretty intentional and it's pretty, like I said, it's pretty competent. And they wanted Romney. Uh, Romney would have been the, obviously the ideal candidate. Um, with Hogan and Manchin out, it clearly looks to the casual observer like it's over, but they are, uh, there are other people that they're pursuing. And so at that point, your challenge, if you go to a lower tier by a name ID problem, if you get someone who's competent and could appeal, but is not RFK Jr. or Mitt Romney, or I guess Larry Hogan. So, so it doesn't mean that it's over. The theory that it's in meltdown is wrong. There's an interesting kind of, they've just invested so much money, I just don't think they're not gonna go through with it. And then there's a theory that, I mean, there's a Dick Gephardt and people who are, are working against it are trying to get them to back out because No Labels has maintained all along they're gonna do this if there's a path to 270. They've maintained vociferously recently that they don't intend to be a spoiler for Trump. And so this new kind of, exit ramp that people are pushing for who oppose the effort is, can you get out at the last minute if it looks like it's not viable? By July. Right, that's, and that's, yeah. that's pretty tricky. So you get someone in, you get someone in and you have to work up their name ID, and that's mid-March mid soon, early April the latest. And then I don't, I, I just, obviously we're in a new world. I, I, you know, there's a lot of concern about this going to the House and becoming a contingent elect, election scenario where the House decides it, which I, I really truly believe would just break the country in half and like burn it down. And that the, the American electorate is not prepared to accept an election decided by the House right now. So they have a lot of decisions to make about whether they want, to, they want to go forward. I think, like I said, because the operation is in drive already that they do that. Um, and then, yeah, at, at what point do they see a path to 70 which avoids the nightmare house scenario? Um, or do they actually give in to the, the groups trying to dissuade them and say, okay, you're right, we did this, and this historical effort, because we believed the public so hates Biden and Trump that they would come on and give us a, our ticket of plurality, and then when do they back off? I mean, I, I don't, Have anyway. Have you talked to anybody in this orbit? No, I, I'm, I'm, I'm um, agnostic, I'm, I'm, I'm on the outside. I've volunteered with No Labels for many years, big believer in what they've done with the Problem Solvers Caucus and the Senate sort of coalition of the 
of the willing, which Manchin and, and Collins oh, so the have former insider led is for, part of for, the bulwark and part of the years. Rico. It and all makes sense I, now. I, 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 want, I, I really want to say, and this audience will appreciate, that we would have no CHIPS Act, no PACT Act, no codification of same-sex marriage, no first gun reform in 30 years, no Electoral Count Act update, no infrastructure. Without that group that functions in Congress and stays at the table and persuaded a filibuster-proof majority in the Senate of Republican senators to defy their president and give Biden all these accomplishments. I'm just opposed to the unity ticket. You know, the fact that they've done such good work with the Problem Solvers Caucus is actually why it's such a bummer they've decided to shred their credibility through this cycle. AB's right. I'm just going to make the pro they are in meltdown case just really quickly, uh, which is the idea that they're going to get to 270. How many electoral delegates does Delaware get? Three? Three, right? Three. I don't think they're going to get to three. And here's what... But they, they, they put out material that says they're going to win a bunch of states. One of those states is Delaware. Can you think of anything about Delaware that might get it really implausible that their unity ticket would beat Joe Biden, that'd be better than Joe Biden? I can think of a reason, which is that it's Joe Biden's home state for like a gajillion years, right? They're not gonna vote for the no labels candidate. So they've been selling snake oil this whole time. And basically what's happened is the people that they've been trotting around saying, hey, it could be somebody like Larry Hogan, could be somebody like Joe Manchin, who all of these billionaires who've kicked in all this money have given them, now those guys are both out, real out. And so now they're going down the list. And I actually think full meltdown looks something like them going to RFK Jr. and being like, what do you think, man? We got access. You got whatever it is you're doing. And, uh, you know, but the billionaires who funded this thing are not going to like that. And they're not going to like some B-tier, second-tier candidate. And so now they are just in this, like, potentially troublemaking position. So I think they can still cause trouble, but I think that in terms of them doing anything that looks like a serious effort, they also, they went from, no, we're gonna have all of these delegates. We're gonna hold a big convention in person in April. No. Then it was, uh, no, we're gonna hold a Zoom convention. Cool. Now it's like a few party insiders are gonna pick this person. I think that kind of looks like a meltdown. Anyway, enough the labels, but. No, no, so one more thing. Because uh, I wanted you to, you said this to me in passing yesterday about the polling and polling showing that third parties really hurt, hurt Biden. Uh, and this speaks to your broader case about building an anti-Trump coalition. So the most recent one of these I've seen is the, I know you don't like Harvard Harris, right? You don't like- They're a bad polling outlet. Yeah, you think they're a bad polling outlet. Um, their most recent one, when it's straight up Trump and Biden, Trump is plus seven. When it's Trump, Biden, and RFK, Trump's lead gets a little bit bigger. And when you throw Jill Stein and Cornell West in, Trump goes up 11. So the more third-party candidates you offer, and that's because they're each appealing to some different part of what would be the anti-Trump coalition. Yes? Would you like to speak to this, no, please? No, so you just go back to, to the idea of, like, double doubters, double haters, right? If you give them, like, what happens in that situation is you're basically ca causing people to, like, what voters would talk about is choosing the lesser of two evils, right? That's how they talk about it. In fact, if we had a drinking game, every time we had to drink every time someone said, I have to choose the lesser of two evils, like we'd all be dead uh, from alcohol poisoning. Because it just, people say it all the time about how they make their choices. Because the, you are not building a pro-Joe Biden coalition. You are building an anti-Trump coalition. And the anti-Trump coalition 
come like has a slice of those Nikki Haley voters, right? It's right-leaning independents, it's soft GOP voters. You need those people. You give them a unity ticket of Joe Manchin and Larry Hogan, those folks, they're right there. They're they're out. But then you give them Cornell West, well, there's a lot of sort of uh, disaffected black voters in that group or young voters uh, who are more progressive, and it peels them off. And anytime you peel off a segment of the people who, when push comes to shove, of who do I hate more, they choose Trump and go Biden, you give them off ramps and it fractures the anti-Trump coalition and that is how this race is lost. And so it's why I have always taken the third party stuff really seriously because with this, the particular psychology of this race, it can do enormous damage. Thank you, that's what I wanted. Uh, so we're gonna end with a big philosophical question, but before that, Newsflash today at uh, CPAC at one o'clock, the defeated former president will be giving an address. Did you guys know that? Yes. Yeah. Uh, so I will say that once upon a time, having a former president who is the presumptive nominee of his party speaking at a conference where the opening speaker said, welcome to the end of democracy. We are here to overthrow it completely. We did not get there all the way on January 6th, but we will endeavor to get rid of it and replace it with this right here. He said raising a fist. So that's Jack Posobiec, the, the Pizzagate what guy. Did he raise? I thought he raised a cross. I think it was oh, a cross. Was a oh, we had a yeah. cross. Yeah, yeah. Oh, well, then I'm cool with it. Yeah. I'm sorry. <laughs> Never mind. I take it back. Uh, so I think... It would have been the end of the campaign for the presidential nominee to appear at the same conference that was opened that way. I get the sense that's not the case anymore. Maybe I'm wrong. Um, so his, this is a, we have advanced look at his you know, advanced look at the remarks, which he may or may not stick to. But uh, I don't know if you guys saw this this morning, right? So he's, he's going to say four years ago. I told you that crooked Joe Biden got to the White House, our borders would be abolished, our middle class would be decimated, and our communities would be plagued, interesting word, by bloodshed, chaos, and violent crime. As the saying goes, Trump was right about everything. That is not the saying. <laughs> I just want you to know, I have the trademark and that's not it. Um, so he's gonna do American carnage again. He's, he's just gonna do American carnage again. Is that gonna work again? I mean, spoiler, yes, it is. But I'd like to hear what you guys think. <laughs> so Elise Stefanik was there yesterday saying that Democrats destroy democracy um, because the 2020 election was unconstitutional. The tr uh, Trump's remarks say that he's gonna talk about the tyranny of Joe Biden and that's their MO. And I think it's gonna work on a lot of uninformed voters that, they, that we are living under fascism now. Trump always says the socialists, the communists, the fascists in his speeches. And he's turned, you know, basically the threat of him and his party um, into a criticism of Joe Biden and the Democrats. And they're happy with it. They're raising money on it. The government, uh, we're living in a third world country where the government is going after this um, martyr, political poll leader and, um, it's, it, it's terribly effective right now if he's winning all the polling in the swing states. They're not gonna let up on it because it's working, so everyone should prepare for that. I mean, I don't wanna sound like an elitist, but people are buying a lot of boats. People are even buying 
couple $100 boat, sneakers. Man. You are so... Th- They're buying sneakers and Trump NFTs. Yeah, 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 and yeah. how does that work if it's so terrible? I don't understand. The, but there's a lot of people in this country. Some of them are buying sneakers. A small number terrible. of them are buying boats and putting Trump flags on them. But I don't know that it's enough to say that, like, this is the fullness of the economy. But whatever. Uh, here's the no, thing. let's have our fight again. No, I don't want to fight about the boats uh, or the economy. What I want to say, though, is that, like AB said, it's working right now. I just... Here's the thing. You can come talk to me in four months. And if in four months it still looks like this, I will hit the panic button. But the reason that I have not been panicked this whole time that everybody else has been freaking out, even though I said a long time ago, I thought Joe Biden is indeed old and that is indeed going to be a big problem. And just whether the, whether the media talks about it or not, the voters have noticed. Okay, they've noticed. However, right now, people know what they don't like about Joe Biden because he is the president. He is right in front of them, and they see it, and they've got their frustrations. They've forgotten about Donald Trump. And actually, something that is happening right now is because the media, who I actually feel bad for, they sort of can't win in a lot of senses. Everybody was like, stop broadcasting all his insane conspiracy theories. It just elevates them. And now everybody's like, why aren't you broadcasting his insane conspiracy theories? None of these voters now know that he promotes them. And both of those things are kind of true, and I don't know what to do about it other than I believe that when voters see Donald Trump more, when he is in front of them, when they see how much he, how, I mean, he's always been unhinged, which actually is to his benefit because the drop-off doesn't seem so pronounced. You're like, he always sounded like a lunatic like this. But I've listened to swing voters now through multiple cycles, and they think it's not even democracy or abortion. They think he's awful. They think he's a jerk. They do. And I think that when people are snapped into, again, as long as there's no third party, as long as there is a head-to-head competition and it becomes a contrast with Trump, I do think Joe Biden's going to win. I I believe that that scenario exists. I do not think we have to be like... And, and the other thing I'll say in the contrast, but again, this is why prosecuting this case is so important. The Democrats have done a pretty good job in part because of responding to the Republican Party that's been driving itself off a cliff of not putting forward. There's a bunch of people on the Democratic Party now who are like very normal. Josh Shapiro in Pennsylvania is a normal guy. The progressives were like, we're taking down the William Penn statue. And he was like, no, you're not. What are you talking about? And Joe Biden was like, yeah, we're not doing that. That's stop it. And Gretchen Whitmer is a normal person. And so is Abigail Spamberger and Alyssa Slotkin and Mikey Sherrill. And they've got this whole bench now where... But you know what? Those people have got to come out and become surrogates for this Democratic Party and show people what the future of the Democratic Party looks like because otherwise it's going to be Gavin Newsom and I don't like Gavin Newsom. (laughs) So that's about me. That's a me problem. But I'm just saying, like, there's a much better version of the Democratic Party to show. There's a future case to make. And contrasting that with Marjorie Taylor Greene and Lauren Boebert and Matt Gates and Tommy Tuberville and the future of the Republican Party, that contrast can get pretty stark pretty fast if you show it to people. And so there is going to be no organizing tool like Donald Trump back in the public eye. But media, if you're listening, show Trump in all his glory. Voters need to see it. All right. 
So we're going to bump up against time, but I do want to do a little philosophical. What happens next, right? So we're going to, I mean, you know, we're going to inflection I'm going to eat lunch. Yeah. <laughs> we're going to hit an inflection point in eight months where one of three things will happen, right? Uh, Donald Trump will win the election fair and square, become president. That's one, you know, one pathway. Joe Biden will win the election and will wind up sworn in again after whatever happens, because I just assume that, like, you know, there, there will be challenges again. There will be stop, stop the seal two will be much better organized than stop the steel one. And the third option is that Biden wins and then the election results are overturned, possibly through legal means, right? I mean, we would, we would say illegitimate, but perfectly legal. Like there are, you could send alternate slates of electors, which created confusion. And then the Electoral Count Reform Act is taken before the Supreme Court to see, you know, really how much power do they have? Are they allowed to? All I'm saying is you have to squint a little bit, but not, not all that much. So my question to you guys is, where do these three pathways lead? And if you wind up on one of the two pathways where Trump loses, is there a line that Republicans won't cross? Is there Mike, is there Mike Pence-ism, the great American hero? <laughs> and I'm serious about that. Don't, I'll, I will fight anybody who wants to talk bad about Mike Pence. Um, is, is there anybody, is there any force for that left in the party. So there, go ahead. So you do your thing and then I'll make everybody want to hang themselves before they go to lunch. So, so I think that um, I want to end on a high note for me, which is that I just believe that Nikki Haley, who is a through and through phony, because I didn't do my Nikki Haley South Carolina thing. It doesn't matter what she's doing in this race, the fact that people are giving her money to injure Trump for the general election matters to me and the cause. She is finally speaking the truth. She cannot back away from it. And I don't believe she's going to endorse Trump. And Tim and JVL and Sarah all think she will, and that's whoa, fine. Whoa, whoa. I, I okay. have a 35% chance she won't. Okay. So I'm really... I, <laughs> I'm, I'm clinging to this now that she's not going to. And whether she believes that there is, in the event of a Trump defeat, a revival of some kind of new, you know, a, a boomerang, and Republicans finally saying, once again, with Trump, we lose. Um, and she, at that point, is better situated than Ron DeSantis. She believes that, that she's, the peel, she's the champion of the peel-off faction. Um, I believe that there will, I want to, I want to hope that Senator John Thune and Senator John Cornyn and people will stand up if Trump loses and we're into stop the steal professional version, um, stand up and say, I'm out, I'm done. Actually, this election was as safe and legal as the, and secure and legal as the last one. And I'm really done this time. We know there will be many who don't. We know what Elise is going to do. We know how many people are going to run around and lie about this Vance, all these people. I am hoping there's this tiny crusty slice of what was the establishment. And Paul Ryan will be one of them now um, who say this is, this is bull. And I'm and I'm I'm out. Um, I don't know that means 
that there is any hope for that separate from a real um, rump group turning into the next Republican Party. The next Republican Party is Trumpist. I mean, the, you know, the, the, the post-defeat Trump Republican Party remains Trumpist, and I don't, I don't believe that that means anything. But I so hope there are a few that, that just say, I'm, I'm done, once he starts, you know, stopping this deal. This is why nobody can get tired. This is why nobody can decide that like, I don't know, I'm just uh, a pox on both their houses. I don't really feel like dealing with it. Sometimes when I like really wanna just ruin my own day, I sit there and I'm like, who would Trump's cabinet be this time? Yeah, I know, I call JVL. Um, <laughs> but I just do like Trump's fantasy cabinet. John Eastman, who tried to overturn the last election would probably be the head of the Justice Department, right? And With so Jeff Clark. With Jeff Clark, right? So all the people who tried to overturn it, like the Mattises, the the Kellys, the everybody who kept the thing on the rails last time, nobody's joining the administration again to do that, right? Who he chooses as his vice president is not going to be Mike Pence or somebody who says, and by the way, just in your scenario, Kamala Harris is the vice president, which makes it much harder to do one of these like alternative slates of electors stealing things this time around. So just FYI in that scenario. But... I don't think people are sufficiently alarmed about what a second Trump, I don't think it's just American carnage all over again. Because I think that there's a bunch of people, you talk about burning the boats in the good way, like Nikki Haley, I think is kind of doing. There's burning the boats in the bad way, right? Where these guys are like, I'm riding this Trump thing until the end, and I'm gonna get my cool big position, and I'm gonna do whatever I want, and I'm gonna punish my enemies. Uh, and like, we're all getting audited in this room if Trump is the person. Um, at, at minimum. a minimum. At minimum. Um, and so I sort of try to hold, anytime I feel tired, I hold those scenarios in my head to think about just how bad it could be. And the thing is, is it's not just, most of the people in Congress who would have stood up to him the last time, they're gone. They've all been run out. There is Brad Raffensperger in Georgia. There's Stephen Richer in Maricopa County uh, in Arizona. There's, I mean, Kemp you could, in Georgia, you could probably count on to do the right thing. In fact, I'm sure you could. But like, it is a dwindling number of people that will stand up. And so like, that's why it is on us to do the hard things in this moment and push one more time, except he'll be the 2028 nominee too, probably. But <laughs> let's push one more time. All right, you know what? That was so good that as my, my gift to all of you, I won't tell you why she's wrong and that we're all doomed. All right, Heath, thank you very much. Guys, thank you for coming out to the yeah, show. We really you. appreciate it.